The Windows Store is your locally owned and operated go-to source for high-quality updates at affordable prices. They specialize in windows, kitchen refacing, roofing, and entry doors. After 20-plus years of going above and beyond for homeowners in Minnesota and in Wisconsin, they are proud to be one of the top home improvement companies in the country. With over 900-plus reviews on Google and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, you can count on them to provide you with the best possible experience. Now, they're a company that you can depend on for your current and future projects, all backed by their done-right guarantee. They'll provide you with straightforward, honest pricing and ensure that you are getting the best products for your needs installed by trained, licensed, and certified professionals. You can visit them online at www.windowstoreinc.com and let them guide you through every step of the process from start to finish. Welcome to Black and Blue with AK and Officer Jai. I am AK Kamara. And I'm Jai Hansen. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Man, I am doing fantastic. It's a beautiful day. We are, honestly, at this point, we're about a week into the launch of the podcast. It's been awesome. We've had so many interactions from everyone that listens to the show, that follows the show, and it's it's really been a, a great time. And so I think... It's important for us to always kind of talk to our audience, talk to our crowd, talk to our fans, and and thank them. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for yeah. being able to kind of continue on this journey with us as we're kind of getting things rolling. You know, we're we're getting, um, you know, I guess uh, some of the bugs out from time to time. But hopefully you've enjoyed. I just wanted to take just a second as well to remind everyone that if you yourself uh, don't like to watch audio, like you don't want to like to watch a video and you'd rather listen to audio, we do have all of our podcasts available on Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're on there more than likely. And if not, you can always go to our Facebook page, send us an email. All of our contact information is there. But just spread the word because not everyone's a visual learner or watcher. Absolutely. Hey, look, I'm still shocked by the interview that we had with uh, Sheriff Hutchinson on Sunday. So yeah, no, that was a great. That one. was a that was a pretty good one. I'm happy he came on. We had a good interview with John Justice last week, and uh, we're going to continue to have great guests starting tonight. But before we get to that, we got to touch on the debate that happened on uh, this last weekend. So that's right. Yeah, I want to know your scorecard. For for the debate, and I'll tell you mine as well. Yeah, so let's start with, uh, I would say, the, the top debate, which in my opinion is the governor's debate, in which there was only one person that participated. So who won that one? You know, it was a close call, but I think Jensen eked it out there. Um, I think personally the optics were terrible. Uh, the fact that, you know, I, Walls has his position. I, I haven't really heard an explanation that has came from the campaign of why he didn't want to do the debate with KSTP, such a large audience here in the Twin Cities metro area. Um, but it, it gave Jensen basically a 30-minute infomercial and gave him some press from it. And I think that that was disappointing. But, you know, all jokes aside, uh, if there's only one person, uh, it's not a debate. So. Well, we'll see what happens come November. Now, when if it, it comes, worked or if it did not work. To me, the, the second biggest um, was Attorney General. Um, being able to see Jim Schultz 
Uh, again, you know, he had the first debate, I believe, down in Rochester. I, I think they've had a handful, but this is the first one that I actually watched. I give both of them credit for doing multiple debates. Yeah, they're they've, the they've only had more. race that have. Yeah, had. they've they've actually tried to show some contrast. But I think Jim did great. Um, I think that there were times that Keith tried to basically make him seem like an immature, inexperienced person that's you know doesn't know what he's talking about, and I think Jim fought back. Better than what I had heard from the other debates. Because, uh, again, I didn't watch it, but I, I listened to clips here and there. So I, I would say on his debate performance, I'd give him probably a strong B-plus for Jim. Keith, I just honestly, he has no um, runaway with me. It's A lot of the things that he says are lies. Um, one of the biggest things that came out of that is him completely backing away from his support for the defund movement. Him backing away from his support of the ballot amendment here in, in Minneapolis that, that failed spectacularly for um, basically deconstructing the Minneapolis police department, building this new, whatever. And then he said that he doesn't know anyone that supports defund when two days before he was doing a U of M door knocking canvassing event with both representative uh, and Congresswoman Ilan Omar and Congresswoman Corey Bush from Missouri, who are two of the probably most vocal uh backers of defund and even as radical as abolished they want to see a world without police so i just well I, when his son is city council member standing yeah, on a Jeremiah stage Ellison, that yeah. says defund the police i mean we can just start right there in our it's, backyard it's silly and then kim crockett um i think that she had a pretty strong debate performance um i think she's uphill a lot because of her position she's she's very she stands on some things that are very controversial with with a lot of minnesotans but i think it's important for her to get out there and and kind of explain what her position is because there's a lot of narrative spin that happens. So I think that she had a, an okay debate performance. Um, you know, who won that one? I, I still think Kim won that uh, personally, just from actual policy position. So what Simon would do is he would be like, Minnesotans love to vote. It's like, yes, Minnesotans love to vote, but there is definitely a large percentage of Minnesotans that are questioning certain aspects. And when you just brush everything under the rug and say, Oh no, you're just you're crazy if you think that there's a bunch of Minnesotans that say, listen, I just want answers. I'm not even saying I believe right. this thing. I just want to have answers. And when you're not even willing to have a discussion and you brush it under the rug and say you're crazy, I think that leaves a lot of people feeling a certain way. How do you feel it went? Well, I think uh Scott Jensen did a good job defending his positions and um he I, I don't think he lost any support with what he said. I think uh uh, Attorney General Ellison and Jim Schultz. That was a interesting and intriguing one for me. Uh, again, we touched on the defund the police uh, comments that Keith Ellison made, which are not true. I think Jim did a good job uh, defending his record and saying what he would want to see the office accomplish and adding uh, attorneys in the criminal um, department with that, with the Attorney General's office. So, you know, I, I was impressed with Schultz. When it comes to Steve Simon and Kim Crockett, I'm going to give this to Steve Simon. I think mm. he did a really good job. Uh, uh, Crockett struggled in the debate. And then she got the kiss of death today with the endorsement from Donald Trump. So uh, <laughs> I think that's going to be something that, uh, uh, you know, I think Steve Simons is celebrating right now so yeah, I, I that's bet, how i i i, I, yeah, I think that it went yeah you know all 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 in all i should say that you know anyone that watches this podcast or listens to this podcast we obviously have um, an aspect of politics to us because we both are political animals 
but we do think it's important that this show has a very um, wide understanding that our goal is to have meaningful conversations about topics and people and organizations that get beat up in you know, the media in some way, shape, or form, or on Facebook, on social media. And today our two guests represent an organization that truly are trying to stand up for their children. Like, And I think there's nothing that's probably more of a noble cause. Um, but there is a lot of pushback that has came from different voices in different communities that have questions and concerns. And I think it's great to try and have this conversation. So I want to bring in our two guests today. We have Brian Peck and we have Aaron Grom. And you're with the organization Campus Safety Coalition. That is correct. That's Thank correct. you. For Welcome to us. the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Happy Thanks to be for here. Having us. Yeah. So I, I want to kind of uh, kick things off. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization? And I want this to try and just be an open dialogue. Um, you know, you don't have to go in order. Just yeah. if you feel that you're, you're, you're more, you know, you're more suited to talk about this than you do that. And, you know, let's make it nice Sounds and good. loose. Well, yeah. So why don't I kick us off? So um, we got started back in July. And so we, the way this all started is we, my son, who is a, I have two kids at the university of Minnesota. I have a senior and a freshman and my senior sent me the video of the 50-round shootout that happened mm -hmm. behind Fraternity Row in early June. He sent me that video, and I took a look at it, and I said, what is this? He said, that happened be behind my frat house last night. Wow. And I couldn't believe it. I'm a Gopher alum. My wife went to the university. We've got lots of friends and family at the U. I love the University of Minnesota. And I saw that, and I thought, this cannot be happening at my University of Minnesota. Right. So um, I took I, I at that point I wrote a letter to President Gable, Walls, uh, Fry, everybody, the the news stations, and I said, "Take a look at this video. This uh, this violence needs to stop. It's crazy. It's affecting our kids physically and mentally, and I want to be part of the solution. So let me come talk with you. Let's see what we're going to do because this needs to end." And that got picked up by KSCB Channel 5. I, I did an interview with them. And then um, and then after that interview is when I met Aaron. So Aaron was part of a, a parent organization uh, on Facebook that's been talking about trying to get in touch with the university for two years and trying to get a seat at the table about all this crime that's going on with no luck. And so we all got connected. We continued to fight the fight. And then um, we had some people get in touch with us that know how these things work and know how to maneuver in the political arena that said, you need to create a nonprofit. Yes. That's the only way you're going to get a seat at the table. Mm -hmm. So we took their advice. We created a nonprofit, talked with Aaron, and we have four others of us. So there's six board members. And we created this nonprofit. And it's because we needed to get a seat at the table. We need to put an end to this. And we have good ideas of how we can make that happen. And we wanted to be part of this. Now, the buy-in for getting that board uh, organized, you know, you have parents on there. You also have faculty, correct? That is correct. And then you also have students on there as well, right? Oh, former right. students. Former students? Yeah. Okay. Graduate students. Yeah. And then now, Aaron, tell me a little bit. Uh, you have a child that attends the U as well? I do. Okay. And... Uh, Tell me your process with this. How, how did you've been trying to get a seat at the table for two it's years? Long. It's, it's really long. I mean, this really, 
we didn't know what to expect. We sent our son to school in August of 2020, right as the country's in the middle of COVID. You know, we didn't know. We didn't have a lot of expectations because he wasn't going to class, couldn't go out to restaurants, which, you know, the whole lockdown situation. Um, and with that, you know, there were safety changes that were happening right at, at that time, too, yeah. after after that summer. So there was a lot going on. And I didn't really have a good indication of what is normal and what's not normal during that time, because everything was abnormal during that time. But as time went on in this, this Facebook group that I joined was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And we're all saying the same things and we're emailing the U we're trying every communication way under the sun, short of smoke signals to try and get a hold of people and figure out what is going on. Why is this, why is this happening? It's just one situation after another. And I think for me, it was a little bit before I met Brian, but I had two tipping points. The first is when I realized that every night before I went to bed, I'm on Citizen, I'm on Follow Your Phone, I'm on Crime Watch, and I'm doing that every night before I go to bed. Yeah. And it's so a lot my of nights, stress, right? It's a lot of stress. And so my nights of sleep are getting less and less, and then I start my morning the same way. And it's just not the way to live. Would you ask your uh, kids that were attending that you, are you going out tonight? Are you going to message me when you get home? I mean, right. what what was that process or, you know, All worrying the about them? All the time. My son, he just, he's like, you need to stop calling. You need to stop doing this. And I said, I know, but I'm seeing this and I'm seeing this. And he said, yes, we hear, I hear the sirens all night long. But, you know, and I, so we felt like we were taking away a little bit sure. from his experience. So you just, you kind of have to back it down yeah. a little bit, but it, you know, and fast forward. So all these things, it's building, building, building. And then we went to a meeting. This is where I met some of the other people that are on our board, went to a meeting in uh, Ward 2. So this would have been around probably May or June. It was really hot out. I remember that. But we went to this meeting and it was so shocking. Just what we were hearing back from the community and from the U. And I mean, the parents were just outraged. It was outrage. And we're like, we we have to do something. And literally, that was probably maybe three weeks before the shootout that Brian referenced. So, so it all came together. Yeah, I was going to say, it's almost like fate, right? Like, um, you've been you've been working on this. You just, it sounds like what you're talking about is finding a group of other parents that you are like, I know I can't be the only person that feels exactly. like this. And so you find this community, and then all of a sudden, Brian comes out of left field, mm -hmm. and you're like, yo, hey, this he's getting some play. It's a lightning rod. Yeah, and so it kind of mm -hmm. galvanized you to to get together. I, I wanted to ask just like when you saw that video, you know, your son sends this video, like what's going through your mind, you know? I couldn't believe it. It felt like I was watching video from a third world country. Mm -hmm. I thought this cannot be happening in Minneapolis at the University of Minnesota. It was disgusting. So for you, was your like and for both of you, do you have this initial reaction where you just are like you know what, let's find another college, like go online, oh, do absolutely. distance learning. But then, like you said, you can't rob them of their, this is their rite of passage. They, they have to be adults at some point. Yeah. So like for you two, has there been solace finding other parents where you can kind of be like, what should we do? You know, like, you know, I, I can only imagine if, if your child ends up, you know, and I imagine there's probably parents in the group where their child actually has been a victim of crime. And Many. going through that and, and saying, what do we do? Like, do we pull our kid out? So can you kind of tell me, 
you know, what are some things that you two have, have done to try and cope with that, that, that balance that most parents probably don't have at that extreme. You know, every parent feels, Oh, my kid's going to college and they could do some stupid stuff, but you add this level of crime and it's like, what do you, what do you do to kind of cope with that? Yeah. And I, you know, it was funny because uh, one of my, one of my sons is a freshman at the U. So over the summer, it was the uh, graduation party circuit going to all these parties. And a lot of kids were heading off to the university of Minnesota. And that's when we started getting some airplay about what is going on. And it's the world's best kept secret of what's going on at the University of Minnesota. People would say, no, it's like, that's not going on at the U. And we hear firsthand. I mean, we, we were face uh, FaceTiming with my son and he was down there and we heard the gunshots and he ducked and he went like that. We're like, what was that? And he's like, oh, it's gunshots. And he's like, well, that happens every night. It's like, wow. At the University of Minnesota, where I it was across the street from the apartments that I went to back in the early 90s when I went to the University of Minnesota. So it was kind of interesting to have that group of parents that were sending their kids off to the U. They were in a little bit of disbelief, but then I would share with them the real stories. And then now that their kids are there, they've had kids that have had their cars stolen. They've been mugged. And so now it's real, but it's not real until that happens to someone that we know and so it's been great to be able to not great but it's good to have people that we that we can share stories with and that understand that it is a real problem and we need to stop hiding it yeah i just uh, echo that it's there's validation in numbers and i think for a really long time i mean from i can only speak for myself but i i felt like i was becoming a a helicopter parent and that i Mm -hmm. was going crazy like, this is just, this is not normal. But the more people you talk to, I'm like, okay, well, on the scope of zero to 10, I, I guess I'm somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But there's there's a big spectrum and this group is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and people are talking and it's like, this isn't, this stuff isn't random anymore. Yeah. I mean, I can grab a hundred people out of our, the group of 2000, the, the broader group of 2000 and of the hundred that I grab, 80, probably 80 have had a bad interaction one way or another. And wow. it, well, it happens in college, but it's, it shouldn't happen this much. It should yeah. be like this. I have to give your whole board credit for actually, you know, being frustrated and organizing to actually do something. I mean, when I was running for Hennepin County Sheriff, there's a lot of people that were frustrated with the crime. Uh, granted, uh, they wanted to do a lot, but maybe not know how to do it. You guys actually did it. In, in a very fast uh, movement, and you got a lot of people that have joined you. So really good job on that. And I think people need to also understand you have full-time jobs, right? I mean, that, that you have your life, you have your family, you have full-time jobs, and now you have this added uh, full-time job, full-time yes. job right? Another I mean, full-time so you were talking about it before we, we went live that, right. that you, you know, this takes up quite a bit of time. Tell me kind of the day-to-day what you're working on with the nonprofit now. Oh, you want me to start? Um, we've got, we've got so much stuff going on. We, we kind of rolled out of the welcome week phase with the U. We were involved in a lot of events and interacting with incoming freshmen, which is really good and kind of educating them on what's going on and talking about safety tips. And then we rolled kind of into, um, into, into different parts of our campaigns and our initiatives, but our overarching 
what we're very, very proud of, and unfortunately it just came to an end, was our billboard campaign. Yeah. Yeah, and I want to talk about that for sure. Yeah, but that, I think, was our biggest, um, definitely our most expensive, but our biggest. We, I mean, I think maybe our third day after filing our articles of incorporation, we purchased the billboards. So, so tell, dive into that. Tell sure. tell the audience what the billboard campaign was. I know what it was, and a lot of my partners <laughs> know what it was, but I, I so, want you to explain that as well. That's a good one. Um, actually, one of our, our other board members, she negotiated a fantastic rate on two different billboards. And so we started talking about what can we put on the billboards. We, we want to be disruptive, do something completely different. And I, I think it's a great idea. I'm totally biased, but we wanted to show appreciation for the UMPD, University mm-hmm. of Minnesota Police Department, and Minneapolis Police. Yeah. Because they're the ones that are keeping our kids safe, as safe as they can be. And, you know, we could say thank you every day in every way, shape, and form. We can bring food. We can bring coffee. We can do dinners. But we just, we wanted something that was going to be shocking and disruptive. And, yeah. And I Did, think it was. Go ahead, Brian. And it started out, originally, it was going to be a billboard campaign saying, the campus shouldn't be a crime scene. And because we were still at that point trying to get the attention of the U administration and the board of regents. But um, after we announced that we created the nonprofit, I was invited to sit on the university of Minnesota safety advisory committee. So at that point, the shift changed. And then it was actually, Aaron came up with the idea. Why don't we show appreciation for the police? Because we know the numbers are down in Minneapolis. Mm -hmm. The numbers are down at the university of Minnesota they are working overtime. Uh, Chief Clark at the University of Minnesota and Inspector McGinty at the Minneapolis Police Department, top-notch people. Yeah. And they they have been outstanding to work with. And we said, Aaron said, why don't we show appreciation instead? And and we look at that. It's a recruitment and a retention tool. So in the corporate, corporate world, you always want to figure out how do we recruit people? How do we make them stay? Well, you recruit them by showing that you're a great company to work for and that you're appreciated. And you get them to stay by letting people know that they are appreciated and respected and people want them. That was the whole intention behind the billboard campaign. Mm-hmm. I think that's so powerful. I, when you mention, and uh, I'm going to kind of go back. Uh, I always like to talk again, just motivations, philosophy. I went to the University of Minnesota from 2006 to 2010. I graduated. I got my bachelor degree in political science. So I was on the West Bank most of the time. But I was a non-traditional student. I was married already. I lived in Oakdale, and every day I would drive in to go to you know go to class at the U. And I was also involved in student life. I was the chair of the College Republicans and um, a couple of other political organizations. So I was on campus quite a bit. I honestly can't tell you a night after going out in Dinkytown, going to the library. Um, you know, going going to to all of the the great places that we go to, hearing gunshots like, and that again, mm-hmm. two thousand six to two thousand ten, and for you to talk about your son like, oh yeah, you know, I hear him all the time. I think that truly is jarring. So you know, I, I just think it's important to kind of put that in context. I know that you're like, yeah, I went there back in the nineties, and I'm saying it even just ten years ago, and, and even like 2012. Um, you know, I, I would still go to campus because I had some buddies or whatever, and just not the same type of deal. So um, I just think it's important for our listeners to understand that this not this isn't a little back in my day versus what right. it is now. This is like a serious thing. So it's happening pretty fast. Yeah. You know, have have you ever? at least before you started getting traction with this group, were you really considering like talking to your kids about like 
y'all, you have to transfer. Like, you can't stay here. Was that a real conversation? It was in my house. Yeah. It, I mean, the un- to be perfectly candid, the U wasn't our first choice. Yeah. You got into five schools. Yeah. He wants to go to medical school at the U. Yeah. And the best the best position to get into medical school at the U is to go to the U. Yeah. So he made that, that decision. We were thrilled that he wasn't leaving town. And yeah. I mean, that, that was great. But I will tell you, after his freshman year in 2020, that summer, and when he moved back home, I said, I, said, I just, I don't. This isn't normal. Yeah. This is just not normal. And um, we we talked about it. We tried. We bribed. It didn't work. He sure. loves it. Sure. I mean, despite everything and the pain and suffering that everyone else is going through, he loves it. He yeah. loves the school. Yeah. So. Yep. Same here. So my my senior, who's now a senior, he was done with his junior year. So he, you know, we knew he was going to finish out. But our our freshman, yeah, we we said, you know what, we'll pay you not to go. We'll, we'll pay you to go somewhere else. He said, I want to be a gopher. I yeah. wanted to be a gopher since I was little yeah. and I want to be a gopher. So that's when I said, okay, that's when I need to do, do something about this because he's going to go there. I'm going to have two of my three kids going to the university. I love that university. I'm not going to sit back and, and let it happen. I'm not going to sit on the sidelines and complain. I'm going to try and be part of the solution. So that's what we've been trying to do. Part of the solution because we know it's a complicated issue. But we want to help fix it. And and to come to that point um, for our our viewers, uh, this is from a MinPost article that assaults around the University of Minnesota have more than tripled with 37 in the year of 2022 compared to 10 in 2021 with larceny thefts jumping more than 55% last year. And I know that you two, you know, this is kind of a, a little bit of shift of gears. I think it's important for people to understand this is not, you know, too... Um, let's just be very candid. Some people will have the, the, the impression that you're well to do, you know, you're probably middle class and yay, your kids, uh, you know, maybe went from, uh, Edina or a suburb and now they're just acting like Minneapolis is scary. I think it's important for people to understand this is not this situation. This is true reality and hardness. I know that you have some facts kind of pulled up, but I think it's important for people to understand that this isn't just you know, uh, white people overreacting to, you know, urban environments. No, absolutely. I mean, I grew up blue collar. Um, I worked my butt off. I paid my way through college. I know what it was like back then. I know what it's like to work hard. I was not born with a silver spoon. Mm -hmm. I work, I work my butt off. And this is something that affects everybody. It doesn't matter if you're Republican, Democrat, independent, black, white, this affects every single person that's on or around that campus. Yeah. Criminals don't come up to you and stop you and say, are you Democrat or Republican? Right. And then depending on your answer, they, they walk away. I've <laughs> never seen that. that. I've never heard that story. How much story money yet. do you have? How right. much money do you have before yeah. you decide? What's your socioeconomic you? status before I rob you? <laughs> exactly. So that's where it gets frustrating to hear people say, oh, it's just a bunch of white. Have you got pushback on that? Have people come out and said things to you or uh, along those lines? It's been from the um, university student groups, which is all white people. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and saying that, you know, police are bad. We don't want police on campus. We need reform. And I've invited them because this is the way I operate with this stuff. If somebody has a different view. I always try to say, pick up the phone and let's talk because 
I'm new to this. I'm not a politician. Yeah. I got involved with this because I want the problem solved. Yep. And so I say, if you have a better idea, let's talk. Let's put it on the table. And guess what? Nobody ever responds. Yeah. So it's easy just to sit behind social media and complain that, oh, you're just all complaining. I flat out say, I don't know. I don't have all the answers because clearly I don't because it's not fixed yet. Yep. So help us. But then, then, then crickets. Yeah. And that, that, that is a very common thing, unfortunately, that happens um, just in like, welcome to the world of politics, even though you you don't <laughs> want to be right. Like, <laughs> right. Like, 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 wait a minute. We're just trying to help. Like, and this we, is what's going you're a on. You're nonprofit. You, you actually, you know, don't care about people's political affiliation. Mm-hmm. I am as a person that has understood these these concepts. There's always this bleed over and everything, unfortunately, in today's world is through a political lens. Politics is pop culture now. And it used to not be that way, but that's the way that it is now. So kind of some of the, uh, the, the statistics, what are some things that you think are important for people that are listening to kind of put things into perspective? Um, are there any big stats that kind of jump out to you that are important? Yeah, I think, it, you know, the facts, the facts don't lie. And so my career has been, I'm in the finance world. So I tell stories through numbers and through facts and I let others come up with, you know, what does that story say? But, um, so I, I've been taking a look at the uni- or not the university, the Minneapolis police crime data, and I've been looking at that database, combing through the numbers, and then pulling up my own numbers and and taking a look at this. And I'm looking at the neighborhoods neighborhoods surrounding the University of Minnesota. So University of Minnesota, Marcy Holmes in Prospect Park, and so that's what it's designated in the Minneapolis police crime data, yeah. and then all other neighborhoods to do a comparison. Yeah. And if we take a look at 2022 year to date violent crimes, it's up 43% versus 2019. Wow. And I'm using 2019 as the baseline. Yeah. Before, Cause before that was, every, that was normal. COVID, and that's just everything. what's being reported. That's just what's being reported. And, and that's the scary thing. That's yes. the very scary thing. And then, um, And then we take a look at that's compared to all other Minneapolis neighborhoods. So excluding those around the university where all the students live and um, go to the restaurants and bars, it's up 25% versus two years ago. So it's up at a, at a higher clip around the university. And so these students are being victimized, right? And it's the world's best kept secret. And we need to figure out how we get this thing resolved and, and what we've learned through a lot of this is the political dynamic around jurisdictional responsibility between yeah. the University of Minnesota and the city of Minneapolis. And, you know, we'll talk about that at some point here. But that that to me is the biggest issue that needs resolved, because right now there's a lot of this. Yeah, I, I don't I don't want to get lost in whatever else we talk about. So mm-hmm. let's bring that up, because there okay. there is a lot of jurisdictional issues with right. the U and who is going to cover what. Yeah. Uh, so, so go ahead. So for example, in Dinkytown, that is Minneapolis police jurisdiction. If you're not on the campus where the dorms are or where the actual buildings are uh, at the university, that you're, those are considered university of Minnesota police jurisdiction, anything else. So basically where all the students other than the dorm students. Yeah. They live in Minneapolis uh, jurisdiction. And so the issue is, depending on which side of University Avenue you're on, you can call 911 and either get Minneapolis 
dispatcher or UMPD dispatcher. What happens if you're on the light rail? If you're at the light rail station, <laughs> yeah. who do you call? That, yeah, oh, and, then, and then, then that's well, a whole other. That right? That's another. So there's yet another metro police. transit, right? Yeah. Exactly. So you have all these that. Yeah. So it, it's creating issues, and then it's um. It, and don't get me wrong, this is not a slam against the police officers. Yeah, yeah. They are short-staffed. They're going where they're called to and where they can. Not a slam against them whatsoever. Right. It's the system. Yep. It's it's something is broken with the system where we need to weave the two together so it's seamless to the victims who are calling 911 because they're the ones who then suffer when, right. oh, you, you know what, you need to go to the other side of the street and call I mean, it's it's silly things um, that discussion has been. We need to train people on how to call 911, on what to say to the dispatcher. Interesting. I'm not making this up. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff where, no, we are not talking about the right solution here. Yeah. So we need somebody to step in who's going to be an overnight hero that says, I'm going to pull this together. So I don't know if that's Dr. Cedric Alexander if that's Mayor Fry, if it's President Gable, if it's um, the governor, somebody has to step in and fix us because we can only use this as an excuse so long and that time has passed. Now, Aaron, what about the crime alerts? Are they still doing, uh, you know, removing the race or is that something that they put back into it? No. Because I was told that they would be putting that back on the crime alerts. Uh, they might be putting it back. They have not put it back. So there was a long time that the U of M had removed race. Correct. They started doing that when I was going to the U. Yeah, mm -hmm. from from the crime alerts, which helps nobody. Yeah, uh, and it's uh, it's 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 not racist to have uh, the person, the suspects, or the the involved parties race on there. So I could not believe that they had done that, and I thought they would be adding that back, but maybe not. They are not. I, I, I don't know, but to, to your point, this is a big, and this is really, really important. This is, ties right back to your point about being about reporting of crimes. It is so difficult. It's hard enough as a victim to report a crime when you've been victimized. There's the whole psychology of victimization and embarrassment and shame and disbelief and all of that. So you, you overcome step one to make the phone call, but then now you don't give the right information or you're not standing in the right spot and all of that. That's why people aren't reporting. In a lot of these crimes, I mean, our stats are probably off. I'm, I'm being generous by saying 30%. They're probably off 50%. Wow. So you do that math, that My is goodness. painful and it's disgusting. You know, and that's that's where we are. Have you got a, I'm sorry, real yeah. fast. Have you got a response from the university on why they will not add the race back? Yes. Yeah, so that came up on the uh, safety advisory committee, that exact topic. And from what I understand, there was a study that was done a few years ago that showed that uh, those alerts were no more accurate and did not help catch criminals any more than not putting it in. And that what the, the rationale was too many times the victims were not in a clear state. So they would say something that they thought or it was too dark and they made it up or didn't make it up, but they, sure. they didn't see. And then when they got the pictures, they realized it wasn't even close to the description. Yeah. So that that's the flip side of why they're not doing it. And that is they paid, I don't know how much for the study to be done. 
that's why that's the support that they have for not doing. Is that it. why the tuition went up to pay for studies like this? It's <laughs> well, going up again. Oh, yeah, is goodness. it is it a thirteen percent increase on tuition this year or something? Or it, it, it was, I think, three and a half this year. And I three and a half. I don't okay. know what's going to be next year. So the the thing that I think is important is having having this honest discussion. There's so many dynamics, but there's something that I want to touch on. When we talk about what the University of Minnesota, what the response has been, let's be very candid. The University of Minnesota is a gigantic institution in the state of Minnesota. They have a lot of power, right? right? They have great lobbyists. Um, they are a, a public land trust. Um, we're one of the top research uh, universities in the United States, in the world. And so in order to actually push the needle, there has to be a very large force. And one of the things that I wanted to ask your two opinion on, you know, recently Gable said, we are going to recontract with MPD, which after 2020, I think it was like two days after George Floyd, the University of Minnesota ended that contract with Minneapolis Police Department. Do you think that your group and your efforts have had an impact on making that decision, even if it's a little bit? 100%. That's good. Because I think people forget Absolutely. that that happened. That's a big... That was a big <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, no, it did happen. Yeah, it happened, all right. Have you had a meeting with the president, President Gable? No, other than the listening sessions that she held with the general public, she has not been a part of any of the safety discussions. And so and, this, this is yeah. what I'm saying is that people need to understand that the only way to make an impact on an institution that doesn't need to be responsive, which is insane to say is that you have to get enough people, alumni, people that are giving a lot of money to the University of Minnesota yep. to say, we have a critical mass. And if you don't start listening to what we're talking about, your university is going to suffer. And I think that's so important for people to understand. Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely right. And we, we hosted a, um, a live stream earlier this summer with one of the largest University of Minnesota donors to give that message and to apply that pressure. So, but we need more and we need more and we need, um, we need some leadership changes. So I'm going to throw this out there. The, the university of Minnesota is governed by a board of regents of 12 board members. Two of those 12 have been very active in advocating for safety around the university of Minnesota. That's Darren Rocha and James Farnsworth. Right. We have not heard a word from any of the other 10. Mm. We have sent probably thousands of letters, included all of them, and we have yet to see any of them at the safety walks, which both Farnsworth and Rosha were there. Um, we just have not seen any leadership from that group, and that's what it's going to take to actually change this huge Titanic ship to actually right us where we need to step up. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm not saying this is an easy problem to solve, but it's a problem by not addressing it. We're never going to solve it. So they got to step up and do something. Yeah, here. it's all hands they on deck. Right? Yeah. yeah. And what What are the terms, uh, term limits for the Board of Regents? Is that a six year? Uh, There's something five. Like... I, is it six years? 
I thought it was some somewhere, regardless of what it is. I know it's it's uh, split up, so it's not yeah, every exactly. Yeah, so there's you know, five. There's five. They're staggered. So yep. next year, yeah, that okay. are coming up this next year, mm-hmm. and the the state legislators are the ones that vote them in. Yep, and so, um, you know, that's one of the things we're going to start pressuring our state legislators to say, okay. We need crime is the number one issue at the university. And I had the opportunity to sit on a nationally televised um, news station and do an interview earlier this summer. And the gentleman interviewing me said, Brian, it's hard to be it's hard to have students when they're dead. Yeah. And and so, I mean, it was a very, very true in your face statement. And the, the silence from 10 of the 12 Board of Regents at the University of Minnesota is deafening. I can only imagine that that's probably the most frustrating part is that there's this there's these two narratives and the one narrative is, you know, the crime isn't as bad as everyone says it is. And and there's this push for it. And I understand why that exists, because these institutions are afraid of losing money. Mm -hmm. The University of Minnesota and Big Ten specifically just signed a monster contract for television. And they have all of this money that's going to be going towards, you know, go for football. And this is the problem with these massive institutions is that you're competing against that. And it's almost like if they admit that there are these problems, then people are going to say, well, you know, is this safe for my kid to go to? And so it's like this this cycle of where you're just trying to say, I don't care about what the the implications are because I'm talking about the life of my child. And so at, at the end of the day, I think that's important for people to understand. Now, one of our listeners said, can you talk more about safety walks? Can can you two kind of uh, kind of go into yeah. detail what that yeah, is? Definitely. Um, University of Minnesota, the police department hosted their first safety walk about a month ago. It was the night before homecoming. And it was open for business owners from the Dinkytown community, parents, um, students, anyone who wanted to attend, anyone and everyone. And we had a we had a pretty small group, but it was the first one. But it was extremely impactful because Brian and his wife went, um, myself and my husband went. Uh, we had some alumni people there. We had the two regions that Brian referenced, uh, James and Darren were there, and and again it was hosted by. UMPD was, did I miss anybody? That was it, right? Mm-hmm. And it was, it was great. We walked around Dinky Town. We walked around Marcy Holmes. We walked around the businesses and we really, because we had the smaller group, we were able to ask a lot of questions and we walked for two and a half miles. We engaged with some students. I mean, it was, it was a really good experience. I learned a lot because I did not go to the U. So are you talking to business owners during these walks or are you just um, kind of patrolling? We, we didn't stop in any businesses. They were invited to come. Um, None attended that night, but again, we, we started the walk at 830, so a lot of businesses were still open, so it, you know the timing was a little bit tricky, but I think uh, there were some really good takeaways from that, that first walk, and now the next walk is actually on Friday, and this walk, I believe, is going to be considerably larger. They're probably going to walk the same footprint, because uh, that was very impactful, but I think it's going to be a much larger group. So having a big presence mm-hmm. on a Friday night... And what's, yeah, what's the goal? I'll ask that. Sure. Yeah. The, the goal is, I think it, when they set it up, it was for parents to see really what's going on, yeah. to see what's happening and try and engage with some people. And I think they achieved that in the first goal for those of us that went. And I think that'll be the goal again on Friday night. 
but I think it's it's important to see it's just it's really tricky because you've got some people that are saying okay it's crazy it's crazy crime 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 and then you have other people to say there's there's nothing happening everything is great everything's perfect and there's it's always somewhere in the middle but I think it's important for people to get that context and see that. Are these open to anyone or are they parents? All right. So I know we have politicians that watch this or listen to this because we get phone calls and they get mad at us. So (laughs) if they're hearing this and they're, they're free on Friday, this coming up Friday Friday at at eight 30 in front of Kudoba. Right in Dinky Town. Yeah. What I, what we would love to do is um, get that information so we can share it um, on, on our podcast page, on our personal socials, um, you know what? I I have a TikTok. I have almost hundred thousand followers. I could make just a TikTok saying, "Hey, come show out!" And, Absolutely, and, uh, yeah, that would be great. You know, maybe I'll even come out just because it's it's my old, you know, not really yeah, soccer ground. So I never support. lived there, but yeah. I, I spent enough time yeah. going to college. All the there. cool people are doing it. Yes, yeah. all the cool <laughs> kids. <laughs> and and bring my skateboard. Is, yeah, yeah, that's what right. Are cool kids doing <laughs> exactly. And um, Nick Juarez from the University of Minnesota Police Department puts this on. Awesome. He does a great job. So he's a community liaison that works with the businesses and the neighborhoods. And it was great to walk around the Marcy Holmes neighborhood where all the students live. And and, and they were pointing out where the really dark spots are, where there's sure. no lighting, yeah. where the bushes are overhanging. So it's just just opportune areas for criminals to be hiding to, to you know, come you, on out. You bring that up, and, and those that seems like such a small step, right? Oh, let's add more lights, or let's you know, let's <laughs> yes. trim the the weeds over it. here. And yeah, but that makes a huge difference it, for safety. It does. it does, and and I remember, and I'm I'm the first to admit I was uh, ignorant when this whole thing first started because I made at a listening session I made the comment to Mayor Fry when he was talking about adding more lights and more cameras. And I made a joke that, well, I saw that shootout behind Frat Row. I saw it. The picture was great, and the lighting was absolutely perfect. <laughs> so I was being kind of sar- sarcastic. Mm-hmm. But then I've learned through all the research, talking to the experts about how do you solve crime, th- these are these are components of it. So it's yeah. more than just boots on the ground. That's a that's the number one component in my eyes. But it's other things that can help contribute to make it safer. Yeah, I think from psychological understanding of how crime happens, a lot of crime and, you know, Mr. Police Officer over here is all about opportunity, okay? Um, and most criminals are out there, you know, they're out there and they're going to, say, I'm going to go rob tonight, but I'm going to look for the lowest hanging fruit. And so like these little tactics can help make their night unsuccessful. And I think people just forget that that's how crime happens. It is about opportunity. And sometimes there's just people that have very terrible intentions. And if they see that there's an opportunity to do something, they'll, they'll go and do it. Um, I wanted to to also ask, as you're kind of making these conversations known and and, and talking very candidly with people about the crime going on um, on the University of Minnesota. If you had, you know, one ask, what would it be? What if, if you have a listener, a viewer that maybe this is the first time that they've ever really paid attention, um, what would the one ask be? And it can be one ask from you, one ask from you, if you feel there's different ones. That's a really good question. I know, I'm a stumper. I'm that a is, stumper. That is, well, there there's so many. I need almost like an outline with sub bullets. There's, sure. there's a lot of questions, but I think, you know, for, for parents when they're college shopping and going to these visits, I it never ever occurred to me 
to understand safety and ask about safety stats. Yeah. And I, I should know this yeah. as a mom and also as a, as a victim's advocate, I should know this. I didn't ask at any of the five schools. I didn't ask. And I think now we're at a point in the country where you have to ask these things. Yeah. And so parents, I mean, if, if someone was to ask my advice, ask those questions. Yeah. But I still don't, I don't even know that asking those questions would solve the issue that we've run into because like Brian said, it's the best kept secret. Yeah. Nobody knew. Yeah. Are you talking to, I'm sorry, Brian, go ahead. If you wanted oh, to answer yeah. that one. So, so I've got an answer as well. And, and it, um, as we've dug into this and, and gotten more involved with what the root cause is, because I, you know, went to, went to school where they said, ask the, ask the question why five times and you get to maybe what the, is the real cause. Sure. So we get there and what we have learned is it's our elected officials. Yeah. So I don't want to make this political. We're yep. a nonprofit. Yep. We don't take sides. I don't care yep. if you're Democrat, Republican, independent. So my one ask is before November 8th, get educated on which one of our elected officials will actually do something about this ridiculous crime that is plaguing Minneapolis and the University of Minnesota. Yeah, that's that's huge. And so I I, I want to I want to uh, I guess maybe I asked too broadly, and I'm sometimes bad at asking too philosophical questions. I'm going to ask a very straightforward: What can people do to help your organization? I'm going to defer to you because I okay. liked your answer on the other one better. So visit you know visit our website. We're at campus safety organ or campus safety and you know reach out to us. We have our email address info at campus safety or campus safety um, If you can help, reach out. We're trying to get as many people involved with this because our organization is not just about the violent crime at the U. Yeah, we we were set up to do national campus safety. Yeah. Everywhere, anywhere, where any, wherever there's an opportunity for us to come in and help, whether that's sexual assault crime, yeah. um, I feel very strongly that we need to get into these colleges and campuses and educate both the boys and the girls on how you treat girls, um, girls, how do you protect yourself? Yeah. So these are the types of things that we want to start getting, uh, getting our arms around and helping campuses throughout. It, but right now. Our number one focus is on the U because that's in our backyard and we see it when it still hasn't been fixed yet and we're not stopping till it is. Yeah. And if Nash someone wants to send an email, like someone's listening and they, do, they live in a different state and they want to get involved, info at campussafetycoalition.org. Uh, send that email because, again, we do have listeners that only listen via audio. Those of you that are watching see the graphics flashing yeah. across the screen. The national question was the question that I was going to ask you. Uh, ha have you had contact with other school safety coalitions and kind of brainstorming as to what works, what doesn't work, uh, and, and what has been your experience talking to other universities? Yes, there's a nonprofit called safehorns.org in Austin, Texas. They are very sim They have a very similar situation to what we have here in Minneapolis. It's in Austin, Texas, a very large metropolitan um, campus, and they have a crime issue. Yeah. And so if I, I and their police department has been defunded in their yeah. police department. Coincidence? I don't yes. think so. Yeah. So, um, so I talked with the founder of that for about three hours one night and got a lot of great information and tried to learn again, this is all new to me, try to learn from somebody that's been through here before. And a lot of what she um, taught me are things that I brought to the university safety committee. So 
this is this is out there. I don't deny, and we won't deny that this happens in other places outside of Minnesota. Sure. But I never ever want to hear anybody use that as an excuse that oh, it's happening everywhere. This isn't just a Minneapolis yeah. thing. To me, it doesn't make it acceptable. No, it does not, and that doesn't mean we should just sit back and do nothing. Yeah. Have you? Uh, you said you haven't talked to President Gable. Is that something that you're going to continue to try to work on getting a face-to-face meeting with her at any point during this process? Yeah, I mean, we've met her, so we've met her in person. We've talked to her, but not sat down and talked about this specifically. So um, her PR uh, vice president chairs the safety campus or the um, the university safety advisory committee so we're indirectly working with her staff um or we're working directly with her staff so indirectly through her so i don't know you know yeah i mean well i mean she knows what we're doing she's following everything that's going on yeah has she gone um been invited to these safety walks at all of course okay everyone's invited and and how how often are you going to do the safety walks is there a schedule for this or is this kind of a startup new program it's a startup new program and, and I hope so. I mean, we'll see what happens on Friday. Uh, I, I think they're really good. And I think everyone in leadership there should be doing these. Right. Everyone in leadership should be doing ride-alongs with UMPD on a Friday night, not Tuesday, Friday. And then they should do a Saturday night with MPD and to see what the police officers are dealing with and what the situation is. Because it's just, there are a lot of comments made and a lot of ideologies that are made in offices that don't translate to what's happening on the street. Yeah. And that doesn't translate to the environment that our kids are living yeah. in. Yeah, Brian, you had an interesting stat, and I want you to bring this up because we are getting into the colder months. And right. people think right now that with, with the cold coming, uh, crime goes down. And, yeah. And I want you to talk about the stats on that. Yeah, and that's just not true. So I, you know, again, take the numbers, put a chart together, and I can look at... And where are these stats from? These, again, are the Minneapolis Police Department crime stats, taking a look at both the um, the neighborhoods where the U of M students live and the other neighborhoods outside of there. And it's it's the bar charts, if you have that, able to, to put that up there. And it just shows the trend. Because, you know, a trend on a chart tells you the whole story. And these crime stats don't go down much just because it's going to get cold. So that's been said before that let's just, you know, cold weather can't come soon enough because that's going to solve our problem. That's not a that's not a solution. Hope is not a strategy. No, No, it's it's a terrible (laughs) strategy. I think the thing that is most, I think, impressive to me is that in organizing groups of people, like, let's just be, again, get deep philosophical here. We form governments, and the reason we have a government is because we want them to take care of certain things. But I think sometimes people forget that organizing people that have like minds and interests is a very powerful tool to be able to actually get government to be more attentive and attuned to what you're doing. And so I think it's very powerful what you two and everyone else that's involved in your organization are doing because sometimes I imagine it's like banging your head into a wall because you keep saying these things over and so many people just kind of brush it off and you just got to keep pushing and grinding at it. But I just, I, I want to be able to, I guess, ask for, for you two, when we're talking about what people can do to, to help further the reach um, is it that you want them to get a hold of the regents? Um, I know you kind of alluded to this, that look at who 
is running for office and ask them this very specific question and then vote accordingly. Um, if you care about safety, I think that that's important, but do you already have enough pressure going out to elected leaders um, that you feel that maybe that's, you know, do it or whatever, but you know, voting probably is the best way to make that happen. I think putting pressure on the state legislators is key right now because the, you know, the election comes up in November and those are the legislators then that will vote in the new regents in the spring. And so I would say put pressure on the Minnesota state legislators that we want change and that we need a board of regents that cares about their students and cares about the crime that is happening every single day down there. That is something they can do and get out there and vote for the elected officials for Hennepin County specifically who are going to actually do something about this rampant crime, and that can happen on November 8th. If they do those two things, those are the biggest things we can have them do for us right now. Not for us, for the students, for anyone that goes down for to the, the University of Quality of life, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean let's, let's be another step here. Um, Cedar Riverside area, with the population of a lot of Somali immigrants that live there, are victimized too. Right. And, and that's just the truth that that's crime doesn't care. And yes, your, your kids are the concern here, but there's plenty of residents that live in these areas that are also tired of the crime and they probably just don't know what to do, but you're such a large organizing force. that's like, even if you're not a student, even if you're not a parent, this is something they should be concerned about. If you like to go down to dinky town or you like to go anywhere, uh, Cedar Riverside, uh, you know, West Bank, East Bank, doesn't matter. If you like to frequent that area, take the light rail to Vikings games. Right. <laughs> uh, these these are things that you should um, be at least aware of and, and concerned about to get out there and, and do something positive about it. Um, I, I did also want to ask you, when it comes to your frustrations when you're talking to people that want to have these philosophical conversations about well, if we change crime, you know, we need to you know, not prosecute these types of things. Has that been frustrating um, to kind of like downplay how crime actually happens? Uh, what's that been like for either one of you? Yeah, it's very frustrating. It's, it, yes. The, the- My family, we... I- Oh, I could just go on and on. So I'll, I'll, I'll tone it back. I'm like, whoa, you just, whoa, you really, you hit it with that. So it's not just police officers that are frustrated with it, right? It's, it's, uh, no, because the the thing is what, what you're seeing again and again for the, the crimes that are reported, it's a lot of these crimes are committed by juveniles Yeah, and they're getting pinched, tossed in and kicked. Yeah. Like literally within 24 hours. Back on the street. And And it's, it's insane. And they're doing it again and again. And they're, they're, we know this to be true. They're being prosecuted right now at a federal level. There are criminal syndicates that are running these juveniles and putting the juveniles out to Mm. do the carjacking and do the robberies and the phone theft in all of this because it's. They're not going to be held accountable. Yeah. And we see a question up here from uh, Julie Marie that. uh, Perfect question. Why is there such back and forth between the MPD and uh, UMPD? when it comes to uh, reporting and the issue of jurisdictions. And, uh, you know, I think that is, uh, uh, I'll pick my words carefully here, but I think when, you know, Brian, you have a lot of stats right in front of you. And if it's, if it's something that the UMPD uh, happens on their campus, that's something there that goes towards their stats. 
and AK, you brought up earlier about everybody at the U wants their university to be safe, and mm-hmm. they want to be able to show stats that uh, convey that when it comes to uh, getting funding and other institutions are other, powerful things, other man. resources. So I think, you, you know, Brian, you talked about what side of University Avenue are you on and who do you call? Well, is that going to be a Minneapolis Police Department stat or is that going to be the University of Minnesota stat? And I think that's uh, that's part of the game playing that's in the politics right. to go into that. Yeah, and, and I don't think any of that where it goes is intentional. That's sure. the way the system is set system, up right yeah. now. And and the and the actual police officers work together perfectly. Yeah. They 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 are partners. So there's no animosity between a Minneapolis police officer and a U of M police officer. They work together, but they're also short staffed. Sure. And the reason they're short staffed is what you just said. The cycle is a, a criminal commits a crime. The police risk their lives to catch them, put them in jail. Our system lets them out within a day or two. They go commit a crime again. The police leave Minneapolis. Why do they leave? Because why should they risk their lives to to go catch the criminals when our system just lets them out to go repeat it? I have seen so many officers in Hennepin County uh, agencies that have left this county to go to Scott County, go to Dakota County, go to any other county that's not Hennepin County because they know they don't have the resources and it's going to be hard to backfill those officers. And that's my concern. But I think uh, with groups like your group, we're going to get there with the support. The billboard thing is huge. I mean, I hope you understand that, uh, that uh, that was shared quite, quite a bit between um, people in law enforcement and it's nice to see that that support is there. So thank you on behalf of law enforcement. Yeah, and I, I just kind of want to reiterate something. Um, you two, because you have a nonprofit, there are certain things that you can and can't say. And, and it might not even be that you, you don't, you know, that you don't actually believe this, but I'm a strong, um, you know, proponent of law and order. Um, and the reason I am is because I, you can say whatever you want. Yeah, I can say whatever I want. And, and because I'm a strong proponent of law and order, it's because I, I, I come, I grew up very poor. Uh, I grew up around crime and I understand what criminality is. I understand motivations of criminality. And the truth is, if you think you can decriminalize crime, if you think that by letting juveniles go and, and giving people opportunities and chances that somehow it's going to turn into leaf, you are, you know, you're high. I just, I, that's not how reality works. Um, these, a lot of these uh, social justice advocates have this perspective that they think that, you know, people commit crimes because of some, uh, you know, circumstance like they're poor or whatever. And, and I always will say to people, there's never been a time in which no matter how poor I was when I was living in my car uh, and then my car ended up getting towed and then I was staying in a homeless shelter that I was like, I'm going to go and rob someone from their cell phone because I want to make a couple hundred dollars. That is not a, a crime that you're committing because you need to feed yourself. That's because you want to jack someone because you feel that that's an easier way to make money instead of going and doing other things. And, and there's sure psychologically you could be raised up in crime and things like that. But that's why law and order matters to me. And so I think it's important for all of our listeners to keep this in mind is that you are forcing people that all you two want to do is send your children to college so they can become, you know, whatever they're going to become in their life, be well-rounded. The last thing that you two, I imagine, ever wanted to do 
is have to pull together a bunch of parents to say, we need to keep our kids safe. So I just think it's important for people to really let that sink in. And this election, we have to make decisions. Otherwise, I'm afraid that our society will go into a place that we will not like because the people are at a breaking point. People aren't going to let this continue to happen for much longer. And society and history has shown us that if there is not an apparatus that can handle the problem, people won't just roll over and die. And I don't want that to have to happen. I don't want the Wild West to come back and we got, you know, basically we have to have armed parents walking around on campus to protect the children. That's insane because we have an apparatus. So I just um, I hope that everyone that's listening takes this conversation um, again, go and visit their website, learn more about the organization, come on these safety walks, email um, and, and get in communication with the Board of Regents, with the elected representatives, because something has to change. Something has to, you know, there has to be a difference because people will not tolerate this much longer. But I appreciate you two for coming on. Um, is there any last, um, you know, things that you want to let anyone know about uh, events that are coming up other than the safety walk on Friday or, you know, anything you want people to pay attention to? I mean, honestly, just being the time of year where we are right now with what's coming up in a couple of weeks, please educate yourself on who you're electing and who you put on that ballot and make sure don't do it for the kids at the U and for our families. Do it for yourself because the crime is plaguing all of our communities. This isn't isolated to the U. So make a good decision. You know, we're we have a webinar tomorrow. We're hosting a webinar with Safe Streets Now to talk about the upcoming election for Hennepin County. Just educate yourself because that that short term, long term, that's the best thing you can do for us because we're in this situation right now because we've got some real leadership challenges. Yeah. That's a reality. Yeah. And I would just say don't assume the problem is being looked at and fixed. That was my eye-opener that I had coming into this. I just assumed everybody knew it was a big issue and they were working on it. It's yeah. just a tough issue. I don't think people know what to do. So yeah. I don't know if they're not, I don't think it's because they know what to do and they're just not doing it. I don't think they know what to do. So get involved, try to help. Don't assume somebody else is going to solve the problem, no matter how big it is. That has been the biggest eye-opener here. So take that advice. Well, thank you, you two, for coming on, and thank you for taking on this challenge because it's a huge one. Thank you for having us. It's a huge one, and again, kudos to you, other parents that have decided to get together and continue to to push this fight because this is what we're supposed to do in a civil society. We can't let this type of stuff happen, and I hope that the University of Minnesota, you know, honestly, that you can get back to the days of uh, yesteryear, of my time in 2010 and, and your time. And, uh, you know, Sky Yuma, row the boat, all that great stuff. But we need, to, <laughs> we need to protect our children and keep our communities safe. I, again, appreciate you two for coming on. Uh, anyone listening to the, to the live stream, uh, please do visit their website. If you're listening to the audio stream, you're going to see a link to be able to click to learn more about this organization. That's basically what we have for today's show. I'm A.K. Kamara. And I'm Jai Hansen. And you've been listening to Black and Blue with A.K. and Officer Jai. Have a great one. MBC. No relation to NBC.